Welcome to the Resilient Rehab Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Effer. You may have seen me on Instagram, perform on podcasts, or have taken one of my courses, but that's not what this is about. In 2024, I've set a goal for myself to finally come out with long-form content. It's been something I've been wanting to do for a while, and I'm so glad you're here for the ride, so here it goes. Let me tell you a little bit about what you should expect over the next few months. This podcast is not only going to be about my training methods, experiences, or rehabilitation, but I'm also going to be sharing information that I really haven't been sharing on Instagram or any other platform. It's going to be behind the scenes about my business, how I leverage myself, and grow as an entrepreneur. As this goes on, I really hope to take your questions. So if there's anything you'd like me to discuss, check out the show. We'd love to hear from you and share your feedback. Let's get started. Welcome to the Resilient Rehab Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Effer. For the first episode of the podcast, I wanted to talk about something that I hold as fundamental to my principles and to my practice, and that is breathing. And now I know a lot of people have talked about breathing, or there's a lot of information out there about it, but I want to talk a little bit about how I use it with my clients. And, you know, hopefully what I'm going to be presenting with you provides a little bit of a different perspective that may help you from an assessment standpoint, as well as exercise selection. So just out of the root fundamental aspect of what breathing is, so breathing is a combination of inhalation, exhalation, and with each breath in and breath out, that changes our nervous system, our physiological system, our endocrinological system, thinking about our stress system, every system in our body all at once with one inhale and exhale that influences every single thing in our body. And that is not, that's the only thing that can actually do that. And so when we inhale, that is when our diaphragm descends, our lungs get filled with air, our rib cage expands. So think about this 360 degrees of expansion. So my chest expands, my back expands, my side of my rib cage will also expand. And when that happens, that's going to influence a lot of um, different structures in the body from muscle tension to joint position to fascia to the nervous system. All these different systems are going to be influenced by the inhalation. And there's exhalation. Exhalation is the reverse of that. So this is when our body starts to push the air out. So our rib cage will compress, our lower rib cage comes together, and our lungs begin to deflate. And each of these processes, inhalation, exhalation, both have individual changes in mobility. So typically speaking, from a general standpoint, inhalation is going to be this external rotation bias. So it's going to create external rotation, whereas an expansion, whereas exhalation is going to be more of this compression and inhalation. So it's or sorry, internal rotation, I should say, and that is going to be producing force. So when I inhale, as I said, everything is going to externally rotate. So what's going to happen, let's talk about the rib cage, because it's kind of the easiest thing to visualize. When I inhale, my in between my shoulder blades is going to expand, it's going to flex. And what that's going to do is that's going to bring the rib cage into the scapula. If we take a look at the scapula and the inner part of the scapula, it looks like it's dented in, it has this concavity to it. Whereas 
The rib cage, therefore, needs to be more convex, it needs to be round so that that scapula can move around the thorax a little bit easier and that's going to allow for shoulder flexion to happen and shoulder mobility to happen, as well as thoracic rotation. All these different movements of the upper body are going to be key when it comes to having that flexion. When it comes to exhalation, the opposite is true. So this is when the rib cage is going to start to move away from the scapula. And that's going to be very important to progress our body forward, our center of gravity, our center of mass forward. This is going to be very important for producing force. So think about a bench press, for example. You know, this is when people will compress in between their shoulder blades to therefore drive movement forward. I'm pressing the bar off my chest. And this is when the chest looks more expanded, but that posterior rib cage isn't. So this is where in, in um, internal rotation is going to be more prominent. And so when I inhale, that congruency between the scapula and rib cage is going to allow for shoulder external rotation and shoulder flexion. And so when we take a look at the, again, the exhalation, the reverse, this is going to be requiring of more of my chest to be expanding. That is going to allow for certain muscles at the shoulder to be able to allow for internal rotation. And more specifically, we can break down shoulder flexion into two different categories or three different categories, I should say, three different phases. So the first zero to 60, that's going to be more external rotation, more inhalation biased. When I get to 60 to 120, that's going to be more internal rotation, more exhalation. And then once I get to 120 to 180, that is going to be more inhalation, external rotation. So we can start to divide these movements into whether I need more inhale and more exhale. So from an assessment standpoint, we can start to extrapolate information and start to use these measurements of our shoulder, of our hips, of our hands, wrists, elbows, of our, our neck turning side to side to tell us whether we need more inhalation in a certain area or more exhalation. It's a great way to start to visualize human movement and be able to explain it. And so when we look at anatomy textbooks, we can really relate back to okay, well, when I inhale, that's going to promote more external rotation. Well, what is external rotation? What is internal rotation? How is that going to be affecting the muscle tension or different muscles at different points of the range of motion? So again, this breathing is really key to provide us with a model of movement. That's why I really like to use it. Um, that and gait as, as two primary models of movement so that I can start to break down some of the biomechanics and I can relate that to assessment and then eventually exercise selection. And so when we, again, take a look at um, this inhalation, we are starting to look at how the rib cage shape can become a factor for improving or increasing muscle or reducing muscle tension and influencing muscle contractility. When we start to then break down how we can use this for exercise selection, well, this is, this is when it comes down to is breathing actually influencing movement or is it the conscious thought process of breathing that's influencing movement? And then on top of that, 
is it the actual, okay, we're just breathing, or is it that we are putting people in certain positions to drive airflow to certain movements? So we have multiple different camps, multiple different ways that we can perceive this or think about it. So yes, probably conscious breathing. Just thinking about breathing is creating this environment to allow certain areas to relax, right? So if we think about it, if we start to apply our old brain, so this amygdala, this fear and anxiety portion of the brain, well, that is then going to, in the subconscious part of the brain, that is then going to influence our body from a sympathetic system. Our body's going to be fight or flight. Certain tissues are going to become stiff. Certain postural adaptations are going to happen. I may start to round my shoulder. I may start to push my head forward, flare my ribs. So all of these things can start to happen. But if I start to think about it, if I start to think about these particular areas and become intentional, well, then my frontal cortex, my my thought process part of the brain is then going to start to inhibit that. If you think about like psychotherapy or psychology, that's really what they're trying to do. They're really trying to get you to think about your feelings because the frontal cortex, the frontal lobe is the thing that is going to inhibit the amygdala. So this conscious thought process of breathing, well, that's probably going to influence mobility. Then being able to get air in certain areas, well, that's also going to improve mobility. But just telling somebody to breathe in and breathe out and do a long exhale, do a long inhale, that's not going to accomplish what we're trying to do. Because remember, if we don't have air or we can't expand certain areas whether that's the rib cage, whether that's the pelvis or the hips or the shoulder, whatever that is, we're not going to have movement in that area. We're going to have muscle tension and compression. So if I have somebody standing in a certain position or sitting down in a certain position where they're compressing certain areas because maybe they don't have access to certain ranges of motion, I can't just say, okay, sit there and give me inhales and exhales. Well, of course, that's not going to work, right? Because they're not going to be able to expand that area by themselves already. So what's actually more important than just the breathing itself is the position we put somebody in. And this is something that I've really changed my mind about. I've dove dove deep into a lot of these courses that talk about breathing, books that talk about breathing and the importance of it. But one thing I've really changed my mind about is how position is the thing that allows for the breath to actually take effect, right? So if we think about breathing, when I inhale, we have certain shape of the rib cage. We have this expanded shape of the rib cage. When I exhale, I'm going to have more of this compressed part of the rib cage or this compressed rib cage, just like we talked about. So this anterior and posterior and medial and lateral part of the rib cage are all going to start to squeeze together and get closer together versus anterior, posterior, medial, lateral. So side to side, they're all going to get wider as I breathe in. And so when I start to think about the specific shape of the rib cage based on whether I'm inhaling or exhaling, and I'm then assessing somebody and saying, okay, I don't have that much internal rotation of the shoulder. Well, now I'm starting to think about how can I create the shape of that rib cage to then allow for that certain motion to happen. So let's take internal rotation. 
well, if I don't have exhalation and I don't have the ability for my anterior chest to open or expand, well then I'm not gonna be able to internally rotate my shoulder. So then I have to reverse engineer my thought process and say, this person doesn't have internal rotation of the shoulder. Well, what creates internal rotation? One of the big things is the rib cage shape because that way the scapula is not sitting on the rib cage properly, which therefore means it's not gonna be able to move. And so now my shoulder is gonna to have to compensate in some way to be able to produce that internal rotation that I need because remember, internal rotation is this force production. So I have to now reverse engineer and say to myself, okay, well, this exhalation is the thing that creates my ability to internally rotate. So one of the things that are that is needed for this exhalation is my lower rib cage to come inwards. Okay, so now I can think about exercises or positions, I should say, that cause that lower rib cage to become more compressed or more squeezed inwards. I also think, okay, well, my serratus anterior, which is a muscle that goes along the side of the ribs. So if you take your hand and you grab your armpit where your fingers are lying, that's kind of where the serratus anterior is. So if you think of putting both hands on the side of your rib cage, kind of where your nipples are, and you squeeze inwards, that is what the serratus anterior is going to be doing at the rib cage, among other functions as well, but just as a simple way of thinking about it. So now I've got this lower rib cage that is more squeezed. I've got this middle rib cage that's a little bit more squeezed, and that is going to allow for my chest to be more expanded. Okay, so what kind of position could I get somebody in to be able to expand that area? I can get them to lay on their side. Just by laying on the ground, that is going to laterally squish the rib cage. So it's going to act like the serratus anterior at the middle part of the rib cage and the obliques at the lower part of the rib cage to close the rib cage and create that exhalation shape so I can therefore improve shoulder mobility or shoulder internal rotation. So now I've got this type of idea. So again, the position is going to dictate where that expansion, where that airflow and the breathing can start to open up. So if I've got somebody with a closed chest and limited internal rotation, sideline could be in a very effective strategy to start to open that space up. So again, this reverse engineering of, okay, well, breathing in and out has a lot of information that it can provide us. So it's not just about breathing necessarily, but it's about how can I position somebody to create the shape that is needed for this inhalation and exhalation. So now I've done the sideline position. Now I'm thinking about getting somebody to take a big breath in and a big breath out. And now what I'm thinking about is that breath is so much more directed, it can now start to punch out the dents. If we think about compression as creating dents or divots in part of our rib cage, and then the air is kind of like if you dent a car door, for example, you know that little um, suction thing that they use to kind of pull the door dent out? Well, that's kind of what I'm thinking about breath, is I'm positioning the rib cage in a certain position, so that now when I take a breath in, it's so directed that it, it buffs out those dents, it takes away those dents. 
So breathing in itself is not as effective as I once thought. It's about the positions we're getting people in and how we can reverse engineer what breathing will do from a movement standpoint, biomechanic standpoint, and how these different ranges of motion from our assessment can then lead to us putting somebody in an exercise and position that allows for the breath to become the movement. I can lay on my side and breathe. And laying on my side isn't actually a movement, but the breathing now becomes the movement. So the position is being held isometrically as I breathe in, breathe out. Well, that is going to then inflate the areas that I need to be inflated to therefore improve range of motion. So I hope this makes sense. And now I know this is a little bit new, uh, a little bit different than some some information that you may have consumed or heard about before. So it's okay if it seems to be a little bit confusing. We're going to talk a lot more about breathing in future uh, podcast episodes. But if you have any questions, comment below and we will definitely cover those questions in upcoming podcast episodes. Thank you so much for listening. 